Mark 10, 13 through 31. Now people were bringing little children to him for him to touch. But the disciples scolded those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and blessed them. Now, as Jesus was starting on his way, someone ran up to him, fell on his knees and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all of these laws since my youth. As Jesus looked at him, he felt love for him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell whatever you have, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But at this statement, the man looked sad and went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of, of God? The disciples were astonished at these words. But again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and replied, This is impossible for mere humans, but not for God. All things are possible for God. Peter began to speak to him. Look, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. There is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for my sake of the gospel. Who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much? Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with prosecution persecutions, and in this age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Somebody left these. Got to move in here and get all set up. All right. Just so you don't think I'm going rogue, I was told to use this mic. Just so you know. Good morning, Refuge. Good morning, church. No, you missed your cue. Good morning. I know you're far away and I'm far away from you and all those things. I'm just so glad to be here with you, to be up front, to be able to be in God's word with you again. Very excited. Hey, so since last time I was here, um, autumn has fallen. 
or fall has autumned, whichever one you prefer. I don't know if you're an autumn or fall person, but it's here. And even though you can't see the wind, we definitely feel its effects. Amen. Um, yeah, so I will, I will attempt to not be long-winded for the sake of your toes and extremities. But before we look into God's word, I would like to ask his blessing upon us one more time. So join me. Heavenly Father, please, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you lead, lead us in all wisdom, God. Lord, we give you our hearts as an offering this morning. Lord, we pray that, Lord, our submission to you would be a pleasing sacrifice, God. And Lord, as we look into your word today, I pray that you'd lead us into all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm putting my hat back on. This morning we're continuing to mark, as I'm sure you were hoping we would. So we are trucking through here, moving our way. So we're going to continue. So uh, if you have not turned to Mark 10, please do so. Um, meeting outside has been a lot of fun for me, actually. I, I enjoy doing this. And when we get to passages like this where Jesus will eventually be teaching sort of outside, it kind of makes me think about what it would be like to go and to listen to Jesus out in the open air and to you know, have nothing ab above you except for the floor of heaven. And it's just kind of a, a neat thing to kind of be a part of. A little, little snippet, right? I'm sure it wasn't this cold most of the time, but uh, I really enjoy that. Now, this first section that we're going to look at here uh, it might still be in a building. It might be outside. It doesn't really matter. But um, as, we, um, as we look at the passage today, it's, it's long. Sorry, Kristen. Uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at this, and it, it, it breaks down into four nice little nuggets. So if you follow along with me, it should be not only easy to follow, but there's some pretty neat truths that weave themselves together. Let's start in verse 13 here. Some of you who have the headings above your, uh, in your Bible, above the, the little parts there, the yeah, little paragraphs, see that this is concerning children. So it's not a spoiler, it's just what we happen to be talking about. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I kind of want to start there. Let's start in the first verse. You have children that are coming to Jesus, and, you know, this proper setting. The parents are bringing children. You don't have children just running off, abandoning their families, trying to find Jesus. These are, these are families bringing these children. Um, to Jesus. These are probably young kids. And the disciples see this, and in, in my mind, in my, my sanctified imagination, they're inside and they're talking, and outside they're parents and they're trying to look inside and they're trying to get their kids in, and they might be out in the open, but I kind of feel, and, the, and, and in the door are, are the disciples, and they're like the uh, I would call them the baby bouncers, right? They're keeping the babies out. It's like, no, there's not, we don't need you. We'd stay outside. And Jesus sees that, and it says he's indignant. 
That's that quite a heavy word for this. It says he's angry at an injustice. But he sees these kids. Now, why do you think the disciples would do that? I think one of the, one of the reasons would be probably a similar reason for, that, that we would actually give. You know, I think we, we sometimes we look at what the disciples do and say, oh, man, if they only knew. They only knew things better like we did. But I think we do similar things where we see the, the kids are there and the kids want to, you know, see Jesus. Or the parents want to bring the kids. It's, it's not time for that. Jesus is busy doing things. He's doing things that are important so children stay outside. And what Jesus points out, he says, no, no, bring them here. This is important. They are important. In that time period, children didn't have a very high social status. I mean, there are a couple of reasons for that. Children, I mean, they, if you think about it, you have your young children, and if we look around, we have our kids around, right? We love them, right? But let's be honest. To society, they're semi-useless. They can't work, you know? You can't ask them to go pick something up at the store. According to society, they, they have potential, but they're not useful yet, really. Of course, I'm being brash. Because when we look at our own kids, we look at our kids and we see what they are. They see that they're a blessing. But as a, as a status, kids don't, they're not really all that valuable. And, and honestly, to defend kind of some of those thoughts for those folks back then, mortality rate was really high. People had a lot of kids, but a lot of kids died. I know, it, it's sad. And it's sad to think about, but... Also, the point where you'd, you'd lose all these, a lot of kids, and so it was thought, well, well, we'll invest in kids as they get a little older. We know they're still going to be around. I mean, as far as how society looked at them. But you can see that their parents still love and care for their children. If you look at Psalm 127, verse, verses 3 through 5, it discusses uh, just what kind of blessing children really are. And it says in that psalm that sons are a gift from God. They're like arrows in a warrior's hand. I'm sure you've heard this, right? You've seen the popular thing where this verse gets, goes around on Instagram and everybody gets the arrow tattoos, right? Because now children are, are this. And I, I actually love the picture. I think it's such a cool thing because when you think about an arrow in a warrior's hand being released, like it's eventually the dream of a parent to release a child and to have that child be effective, and to be just, you know, hit a target, right? If we want to take the word picture to its full extent. This is a great thing. But children are a blessing. And it says in there, blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. Having a lot of kids is seen as a blessing. So these parents who've been blessed want to bring their children. And they want a blessing from the Lord. One thought could be, Jesus is here today. My child's not sick now, but my child might get sick later. Maybe if we have Jesus bless him, if we have Jesus bless my child, maybe it'll stave off something, right? This might be prevented. Lord, please bless my child. All that to say, it's, uh, it's something that the parents really saw as important. Jesus saw it as important too. Bring the children here. And what does he say? He says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's, that sounds like, well, of course, and it, and, and it is something for us to, to think about in a, in a thematic way, and it's a, it's a poetic thing. But honestly, if you think about it, it's, it's an interesting statement because they would say that, the, well, yes, eventually the kingdom will be theirs. Like when they get older, when they can make some proper decisions and make some choices, yes, that 
the kingdom will be there. So what Jesus is saying, it's, it's kind of a radical statement. He's like, the kingdom belongs to them. They're included. And it actually takes my mind to the, uh, to the Philippian jailer. Paul's talking to the Philippian jailer, and he says, how can I be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And your household, it's not just for the, for the husband. It's not a religion just for the wife. It's not, it is for the whole house. Children are important, and children are a part of the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes we push children off to the side to say, someday, someday they'll be really useful to the Lord. Right now, they're just kids. And I think Jesus is, is really kind of pushing against that. The last judge in Israel was called as a child, Samuel. And so Jesus sees real worth here. So what we see is actually kind of a, a rebuking of the common idea that children are, they're, they're worth something, but not much now. And Jesus says, no, they're worth something now. But he uses, a, he uses also this, this, this opportunity to teach an important thing about the kingdom. And he tells them, unless you, let's look at the, let's look at the verse here. Unless you, whoever, yeah, there we go, verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Now all of a sudden this became serious. However the children are receiving the kingdom of God, everyone has to receive it that way or they won't receive it. And we'll come back to that idea in a moment, but verse 16, he says, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus blessed those children. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child will never enter. And I want you to really remember that. So what we kind of learned from this, the nugget we can pull out of this section is the blessing of the kingdom is for all to receive. Okay, to receive. Let's look at verses 17 onward here. It says, and he was setting out on his journey. So this is sort of like a transition. This is probably outside. This is later on. This isn't like a, the next thing. And then, so then he sets the kid down and they leave. It could be a little time after, something like that. But Jesus is outside. They're leaving. They're walking down the road. They're starting their journey to go elsewhere. And someone comes running up, knelt down before him and asked him. This man came and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do? Jesus, it seems like he's kind of playing with them a little bit. Because he says, good teacher. It's like, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And some people might see it as Jesus remarking that he's not God. And I actually kind of think it reads the other way. Jesus is is implying that he is actually God. You called me good. Only God is good. Kind of left it open. Maybe for an affirmation, maybe not, but Jesus moves on. And he answers the question. The question is, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? So if you look at verse 18, it says, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one except God alone is good. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I kept all of these since my youth. You could render that, I've wholeheartedly done this. 
So think on that for just a second. Look at that list. Does that list look familiar? I mean, it should look familiar. Does it look familiar? Uh, it's part of what? It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's not all of them. So if you were to go back to Exodus 20, take a look at the commandments. Jesus leaves off the first four. The first four dealing chiefly with worship, Jesus leaves out. The last six, Jesus repeats, except he changes one. You get a gold star if you can remember which one Jesus changed. No one wants a gold star. It's all right. You called my bluff. I don't even have one. But the, the what? What? Did you say God? Do not lie. It does say in here, bear false witness, but it doesn't say lie. So you, you're on the right track. It it's, wasn't in there completely. But, and here it says, don't covet. Or I'm sorry, in, the, in Exodus 20, it says, do not covet. Here it says, do not defraud. So the question would be, why in the world would Jesus change it? Why would he change that command when he's trying to share, hey, you've, you've done these things, Right? I think that if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, covet is it's the last command. But covet specifically is very much an internal, it's a heart thing. You covet in your heart something else. And, and actually you could you could build out a an argument that covet covetousness is at the core of really all the commands. Don't don't create a graven image. We covet creating God in our whatever package we want to build him in. Don't lie. We covet being the arbiters of truth, right? Don't steal. We, we, we covet resources. So you could make that point. But what he points out to him, he just reads out those six. And instead of that, he says to defraud, which is, which is one way that you could action covetousness. You could covet that by defrauding someone. And I think there's a reason. It's because Jesus is very specifically answering, what must I do? He's turned these into actions. These six things that he shares are specifically doing things. Or in the case of most of these, not doing something. But it's very action-based. And I think that's very much on purpose. The young man... We learned from uh, Matthew, he's a young man. This rich young ruler has, uh, has been talked about uh, in tradition. He's the rich young ruler. He says, I've done all these things. I have done all of that. And we could say, yeah, right, buddy. Don't you know Jesus? He already debunked all that. You didn't do that. But he's, but he's really saying, hey, I, I have my whole heart followed these action things. And if you go back and you say, have you never, have you never stolen anything? Okay, well, he's giving an account. He's giving a general account. I've, I've kept these commands. And so Jesus said, okay. This is what's interesting in verse 21. Jesus said, looking at him, loved him. This is the only gospel where it gives that little detail. He looked at him with love. And he said to him, so however harsh you think this next sentence is, Jesus is saying it in love. You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So there's a couple things here. 
I think that oftentimes we'll read through this and we will fill in some blanks that aren't necessarily in what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, sell all your stuff and you can be saved. He kind of specifically says, sell all your stuff. And so instead of having treasure here, you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's still the same call to the disciples that was given before. We tend to focus on the fact that a rich person was asked to give away their stuff. And I think one reason we do that is because I think we want to make sure that we are not in the same boat, as it were. That we are not that rich person unwilling to do these things. Because Jesus says, hey, if you want to do this, you need to sell all your stuff. You need to give it away. And for us, that can feel a little scary. You mean if, I, if, I ha- if I'm rich and I don't do that, then I can't go to heaven? Is that the point? And for Jesus, what he's saying is not necessarily do these things to go to heaven. That goes against what Jesus has already taught. What Jesus is getting at here is that it's not about the action. It's not the action that you need to worry about. What we need to worry about is the heart. The rich man wanted to do something to obtain eternal life. Now, being a young, rich man, that is most likely how he built his riches. We don't, I mean, we don't have any background. Did he inherit this? What's he doing? But he's a young, rich man, and he's probably used to what we'd probably call the hustle. I don't call it that. I sound weird when I say it like that, but some people would call it that. You have, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this drive to go and to do and to obtain. And in our culture, we, we really celebrate that. We celebrate that attitude. You go, you do, you obtain, and then that's yours. We do place a high value on personal property. You've gone, you've done it, you obtain it. But Jesus loved him, and I think that's really the key here. Jesus loved him, so he just told him the truth. And the truth was, you can do good things and yet still not be righteous. I think what we actually have here is a retelling and a restating of the Sermon on the Mount in a pocket-sized form. It takes the bigger concepts talked about, the longer discussion of the Sermon on the Mount, and it puts in a little bite-sized thing. So you can put it in your pocket, take it with you, and think on it this way. But that's what it is. It is this concept and this idea that there is a greater righteousness. Though you do a thing, it is actually about the greater righteousness in the heart. That is what Jesus was calling this man to do. And uh, we, we, we went extensively through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you did want to hear some more on that or be reminded of those things, I do think those are still available on the podcast But this is what Jesus is teaching this man. And so he left. He walked away. And I wonder if the disciples inside their own hearts was a little upset about this. Finally, we got somebody with a little resources. Maybe we don't have to just keep bumming around and couch surfing everywhere we go. Finally, we can get somebody who's very willing. And Jesus told you. Jesus told you that you have to sell your stuff and give to poor people. We're poor people. We're homeless. We just wander around. You know, when they go and stay someplace, they stay at Peter's mom's house. 
Or I guess his mother-in-law's house. So I don't know what the disciples really think there, but we, definitely something was going on because they do chime in. And I think Jesus takes this opportunity. It doesn't seem like there's any crowds. It doesn't seem like there's a bigger group. It does seem like it's just the disciples because after that guy leaves, turns and looks to the disciples. Now what Jesus has basically just done is he's unraveled a whole massive segment of societal understanding for them. Because they have this understanding about the rich. What Jesus has basically said to them, if you want to take that section and put it in a little nugget, the kingdom cannot be achieved. It can only be received. The blessing comes not from doing, but from being. From being righteous. But that first part, the kingdom cannot be achieved. It would be a nice way to encapsulate that. And so in this next section, Jesus turns, talks to his disciples, and he's going to unpack that. Because I'm sure he just blew their minds. And so looking, verse 23, Jesus says, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Or another way to say this, How, how, how difficult is it for the rich to go to heaven? And it says they just stared at him, and they completely ruined Jesus' joke, because that's not what you're supposed to say. It was a big setup, and they just missed it. And then Jesus says again, hey, how difficult is it? And they, it just seems funny. And then it's funny. I don't think that's much of a stretch to say Jesus was trying to make something funny, because then he uses a comical example. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's how difficult. The disciples ruined the joke. But the teaching, it's funny because the, the camel thing, there is a saying, like it's a Persian saying, it says through the eye of, uh, an elephant going through the eye of a, of a needle. That's how difficult something can be. Maybe there was a camel right there, and he says, oh, just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. But they don't get it. So Jesus continues on. He says, okay, so let, let's break this down. Here's what's so interesting here. Look at verse 24. What does he call him? I love this callback. Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? I love that he called them children. Did we just finish talking about children? Now, it's a slightly different word in Greek. It's not the same word. The one before was just generally like, a, like an infant, like a toddler. This one is a little bit more specific. This is a closer relationship. This is like what a teacher would call a student or a close student. It was another thing he would, could call his disciples. He chose to use that word there. And I think possibly calling back to that, that uh, lesson that he was teaching them. Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Some people have, um, have taught that there was, oh, there was a needle gate at the city, and so the camel had to just remove all its packs to fit through. And that's a nice story, but there's really no evidence that there was ever kind of any kind of gate, and why didn't the rich guy just go to a different gate? I don't know. But that's, I don't know why that became popular. It really should just be that. It's just really that impossible for you to be the rich and to enter the kingdom. And 
if you take what Jesus was saying to the man, to the rich man, it doesn't have to really do with the riches. It has to do with the heart. And so here's really the danger of riches. Or I'm going to replace that word real quick to give it a bigger context, but the context of blessing. Because this is what the disciples would have thought. For Israel, they were promised blessing. You follow the law, you will receive blessing. You go to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. If you do these things, you will be blessed. And it lists out the blessings. And if you don't do these things in the law, here's the curses and you will be cursed. And God took that seriously. But what got kind of built into a societal understanding of that is rich people must be especially blessed by God. That was what they kind of put together with that. Someone who's rich, obviously, they must be that God must be specially blessing them, they must be the ones that are headed to the kingdom. That must be who God wants to populate the kingdom with. And Jesus just destroyed that understanding because a rich man comes and he says, go sell all your stuff. <laughs> that didn't make any sense anymore. So clearly they'd missed something. Jesus looked at them. Look at verse 27. Uh, sorry, verse 26. They were exceedingly astonished. So before Jesus asked the question, they just kind of stood there staring at him. Jesus gives this explanation, and they're even more astonished. Someone jumps in and says, then who can be saved? If people who are specifically incredibly blessed by God can't get into the kingdom, then what hope is there for us? How can we get there? Jesus doesn't say, you guys misunderstand. He actually just goes, he goes with it and says, yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible for humans to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Or to read it directly, for all things are possible with God. It's impossible with humans. Salvation is impossible, just a human being trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. You take that, you got that nice little nugget. Put that in your pocket, take it with you. Verse 28, Peter. Gotta love Peter. He pipes in and says, but we left everything to follow you. Peter's feeling a little left out in the wind. Just want to make sure. We left everything and we're good, right? We're okay. Because I don't have anything in my pockets. So I can't do, I can't do that. I have nothing to sell. So we already did that. We're, we're okay. And it's that begging for affirmation from Peter where Jesus gives this, he really completes that idea. So what started with the children and this lower social and economic status and them being of worth and being worthy to be blessed, and then you get the rich man who's at the highest rung who can't get to heaven, so that guy jets. 
you're, you're, you're really making this whole societal understanding very unstable here for them. So Jesus is now going to tie it all up into something they can really, really think on. Peter saying, we've left everything and we followed you. Verse 29, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with all persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. Let's look at this real quick. So he says to them, there is no one. These are very definitive words, by the way. Very definitive words from Jesus. There's no one who has left. And then he gives this list. House, brother, sister, mother, father, children, lands. He says, hundredfold. They will receive a hundredfold more in this life. They will receive, and I'll, look at this. Now in this time, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. What's left out? Fathers. Because they'll all have one father. We're all part of the same family. But they'll receive house, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. If they're looking for the ease of the kingdom now, they won't find it. But Jesus promises if you leave all of those things, like I asked that rich young man to do, you will receive everything back to you a hundredfold. And in the age to come, you will get eternal life, which is what the young man was actually asking about. How do I get eternal life? This is, this is the way. They receive eternal life. This concept, this idea of riches, receiving, losing, giving, this was, this was a big deal. So, so if we were to kind of settle in here and try to make this fit and work for ourselves in this time and in this culture, uh, I alluded to it before, but I really do think a lot of us read this passage and I think we're worried that we're rich. We're worried we're rich because if we're rich, we have to do what? We have to give it away. <laughs> oh man, I hope I'm not rich. I hope I'm poor. I can just keep what I got in my pocket. And I think that we're, we're completely misreading that if we're concerned we're the rich. And I think what we need to do is we need to look back in what Jesus is actually saying. What was he actually telling the rich man? Hey, you know what? You need to have a heart of righteousness. This is what you need. This is not new. This is, again, the point of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's employed in the life of an individual where it's, it's actually now put into practice. This is what you need to do. Jesus didn't need him to just somehow liquidate all of his assets just for fun. What he was saying was, you need, to, you need to look at what you have and you need to live a life of righteousness. And he told him, that man specifically, sell all your stuff and come follow me. 
you need to give it to the poor. So, so what does this really mean? Because some of us get concerned. Well, I got a lot of money here, so I don't know what to do with this. Am I, am I in sin if I have this? If you go to Philippians chapter 4, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul talks about this. Paul talks about, uh, and I know this verse has been used for every Christian school sporting event ever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, how many of you have at least one t-shirt from some sort of sporting event or something that has that verse on it? Go ahead and raise your hand. That's fine. See that? Okay, thank you. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. The rest of you, I'm sure that you could find one somewhere. But this verse is used for that. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's go beat these guys in the next quarter. And that's not really the context of that at all. The context of that verse is this, what Jesus is talking about. Because Paul says, I've learned to live without, and I've learned to live with much. And so what Paul has said is, I have learned to endure the trial of the rich. And I've learned to live the trial of being poor. I have learned both. And I think one of the best ways to give an understanding around this is 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give. I'm going to turn there. Don't make me turn this sermon around to 2 Corinthians 8 but I did it anyway. Chapter 8, verse 14. Verse 14 says, Your abundance at present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. What Paul gets at, Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church was a rich church. They had resources. And Paul says, you need to be willing to give. Not only that, the bigger teaching is, if you're rich, you need to be willing to give so that one day when you're poor, you'll receive and there will be fairness. If you have, you should share it because one day you will receive. The, the point there, and some people make a jump here to say, are we talking about redistribution of wealth? Are we talking about socialism? is this communism, now I'm scared. And that's not what this is. If anything, this is anarchy. But in the true sense of the word, anarchy just means you don't have a governing body over you helping you make those decisions. We instead are making these decisions based on the kingdom of God. We're making these decisions based on what God is leading us to do. So for those of us who have to be willing to live with it righteously. There is a burden of resources. There's a burden of the rich. The more you have, the more you are tempted to think you have it because of yourself. And instead, we need to go back to those parents who had nothing, but they have their children, and they bring their children to Jesus and say, please bless them. Did those children have anything to offer? To Jesus, nothing. But what did Jesus give? He gave a blessing. You think that rich man somehow really thought he could keep all of his stuff? Maybe he did. Jesus said, you need to give it all away. You need to come follow me. And as Peter was right. The other disciples had done that. 
And what this does is this brings this kind of level of care that really can only come when you understand that all that you have comes as a blessing from God. So, beloved Christians, ones who are blessed, you need to bless others while you have it. So that when you are in need, you too can be blessed in turn. And again, we don't do it out of compulsion. We do it because we want to live a righteous life. We want to live that life of the kingdom. So that while we may be promised to inherit that one day, we live it out now and live it here. There is so much more that can be said here. The last thing that Jesus says is he encapsulates it in a really nice little, again, a nice little pocket-sized nugget. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Lest you think you should receive honor, all those tables were returned. And I'm sure in the kingdom there are those who we either disregarded or did not regard at all who will be given much uh, praise and honor in the kingdom. And so the challenge is, is to live that righteous life, that righteous life of one who understands that we cannot achieve the kingdom of God. We must receive it like a child. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would be those who understand God, why you have placed us where you have placed us. Lord, we, we confess that we who live in this country, our, our lives are blessed. We are rich. We don't worry about our next meal. We don't worry about clothing. We don't worry about so many of those things. Those things are taken care of for us. Instead, our Many of our concerns are in the category of preference. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that in God's economy, we have a responsibility to our Father, Lord, to give. And I pray that we do not outsource that responsibility to anyone else. For Lord, you give to those whom you require to bless others. And so Lord, I pray that we take up that challenge. If we have whether we have a lot or we have a little, God, that we might truly respond to you to say, Lord, how am I to bless my family? How am I to bless those around me? God, that we might live out the principles of the kingdom, that we might, God, not walk away in shame because we have to give, but instead as children freely walk to, the, to our Jesus, to our master, to our king, to recognize that all that we have is simply what he has given Lord, that we might in confidence give, knowing that we won't lack because we have a good Father, God. And instead, that we might live with hearts of righteousness. Pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.